Well, good morning. If you're a guest with us today, welcome to New Covenant Church. My name is Stephen, and we love Jesus, and we love people. We love God's Word. We're going to come to it this morning to hear from Him. So let me start this morning just by asking you a question. If you, have, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back there, by the way, or you're welcome to use your phones. Everybody uses their phones now. I know, it's weird. Yeah, I can tell when you're doing selfies, by the way. It's, anyway, it's all right. Um, so there's a lot going on in the world, right? What would you tell Christians if you knew them, if you had friends who are in Ukraine right now? What would you say to them to encourage them? So everything looks bleak, doesn't it? And it's God weird. Is on the side of the righteous. God is on the side of the righteous. Amen to that. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> Go by, yeah. Here's what I'm shipping it to you. Aaron said, here, you need more of guns. <laughs> yeah. God sees you. He hears your prayers. Amen. That's good. He's on the throne. Did you know that? God watches out for the underdog, too. He does. He watches out, yeah, for the little guy. Amen to that. Uh, we have a church that we've worked with in the past that we've been friends with um, that has, they're connected to Kerry Jones, if you remember him from a while back. We love Kerry. And uh, they're in Minsk in Belarus. And about a, a little over a year ago, I know we mentioned this and prayed for them a couple weeks ago, but a little over a year ago, the government came in and took all their property, locked them out of their own building, just shut them down. Um, they're one of the biggest churches in the city. And the government didn't like that somehow they had uh, privately owned the building. And so the government had forced them to hand over the building deed to them, to the government, because it's a communist country. And uh, somehow they were able to escape that legally. And so they came in and locked the doors with soldiers and just kicked them out. So they've been meeting in the parking lot and in parks every week since, regardless of the weather. How amazing is that? You know, the, the building is not, the, which this building is a blessing, isn't it? I am very glad to be inside and have air conditioning and heat, praise God, power, so, such a blessing. The church is the people. How do you encourage people, though, when it seems like terror, danger, failure at every turn? I mean, think about an American church. How many people would stay? If you lose your building, it's locked up. You must have done something wrong if the government's coming after you, right? The rumors start flying, everything's weird. How many people are going to stick it out? It's an interesting place, isn't it? And the reality is we're called to stand for the Lord. And he is good. We're going to do a Bible study today, and I want to encourage you. It's going to seem a little disjointed, and we're going to do a lot of Bible, but bear with me. Is that okay? All right, everybody all right? Okay. Turn with me, please, to Moses, uh, excuse me, to Numbers chapter 20. We're going to talk about Moses. Numbers chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. <clears throat> At this point, if you're a Bible scholar, or if you just know your Bible from reading it, what's happened in the story is um, the people of Israel, who are the descendants of Abraham, who is the covenantal family head, if you will, of God's people, um, God has spoken to them. These descendants have come. They've been brought into this big nation of people, and so there's tons of them, and a great famine, excuse me, comes on the land, and when that famine occurs, they escape to Egypt, because Egypt is the only place that has food, and so they buy this food from Egypt, and they end up staying there, and grow, and they grow in population, and grow, 
And all of a sudden, the Egyptian officials think, man, these people are getting big. Like, there's a lot of them, and they're strong. And so they attack them, basically, and oppress them and enslave them. And so they're foreigners in the Egyptian land, and they suddenly become slaves. For 400 years, they are slaves in Egypt. And all the while, they're crying out to God because their forefathers had told them, the Lord has promised a land for us. And we will be a people together. And the Lord is good. And he won't forget us. And all they see around them are these idols of the Egyptians everywhere. And so they're praying to the Lord and trying to remember. But they're also kind of culturally Egyptian because it's been a long time. 400 years is a long time to not kind of become the culture you're living in. So the Lord brings this guy up, Moses. Uh, there's a big story about him, which we won't go into. It's really cool how he was born and all these kind of things. And the Lord calls him to go free the people. And so he says, yes, Lord. And he meets the Lord in a burning bush that's on fire but not being consumed. And so he's curious about it. If you saw something totally on fire on the side of the road, but it seems like it's just doing fine, that would be weird. Probably would be reason to maybe go over there and investigate. So he goes over and investigate, and the Lord says, hey, it's me. Take off your shoes. This is a holy place. And he is terrified. And the Lord says, go. I'm going to use you to redeem my people. So Moses goes back to Egypt. There's the plagues. All these things happen. What's happening during that time is God is demonstrating that he is the creator and the Lord, meaning the owner or the master of all creation and every nation. He rescues the people of, uh, from Egypt and takes them out. And do you remember how they escaped? They came out. They're in these big caravans. There's like 2 million Jews, by the way, at this point. This is a lot of people. This is not a small little group. And cattle and, and the Egyptians are throwing their money at them. Get out, because the plagues have been horrible. Please take this so that God will stop. And so they leave, having been slaves, free and rich, which is wild. And so they're in the wilderness, and they're going. And then Pharaoh's like, you know what? Forget those guys. We're going to kill those guys. And they go to try to pursue them. And so they pursue them with their war machines, their chariots, and all their soldiers. And the Israelites are coming, and boom, they hit the Red Sea. There's no way around it. Two million civilians, two million slaves who don't know how to fight. They don't have weapons. And what does God do? Parts the water. They walk across on the dry land. And then the Egyptians try to follow on that dry land, and the water comes in and engulfs them. And God's judgment comes on these people that refuse to worship him, which sounds very harsh. But you have to understand Think of all the times the Lord proved, I am God, worship me. And every time they said, I will not. To the point, too, where I will murder your people. So, this, so God's judgment comes. And it's big, isn't it? God's kind of scary sometimes. So now they're in the wilderness, and they've been wandering for a while. They've um, come to Sinai. They've received the law. These things are happening. And um, the people don't have water to drink. And so they get very upset. And they're crying out. They're actually fighting against Moses. And they're saying, who, who put you in charge? He said, well, the Lord put me in charge. Well, you're just talking about some fiery bush. You don't even know what you're talking about. And so they rebel against Moses. And the Lord tells Moses that he should take his staff. We're looking at Numbers 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron, who's his right-hand man and the priest, went from the presence of the Lord, that is in the assembly, to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. So they're before all the people. They leave there. They go into the tabernacle area where the Lord is, and they fall on their faces to speak to him. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff, that's the one he's been carrying as he's led the people, and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. It's a lot of water. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck, the rock, struck down twice on the rock. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Wow. Praise the Lord for his word. This is a weird story, isn't it? What did God tell Moses to do? He told him, go out, take the staff, stand in front of the people. Now, the staff is important because with the staff, he's done a lot of miracles. In fact, the way that the waters of the Red Sea were parted was God told him, raise the staff up. He rose the staff up, the waters were parted, and then the people went across. So the staff is a symbol, if you will, of the Lord's grace and, and power and his calling really on Moses. So he takes the staff and God says, go out there and tell the water to bring forth, tell the rock to bring forth water. Now, I have never known a rock to start have water gushing out of it. This, so this is totally a miracle that's about to happen. And they're in the desert, in the wilderness. When they say wilderness, like we think of like, you know, Merrimack Caverns. They're, they're in the wilderness, meaning the desert. There's nothing there. In fact, the people are griping against Moses saying, you've brought us out here that we might die and our children die and our livestock die. It would have been better for us to stay slaves in Egypt than to die out here in the desert. Now, this is after they saw the plagues. They crossed in the Red Sea. God's very presence in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke at night has guided them. So they, I mean, this is, it's a, they've seen God. And even in the midst of that, it would have been better if we had just stayed slaves. Wow, it's shocking, isn't it? So Moses goes out and he's upset. What does he call the people? Do you remember? He says, you rebels. Who are they rebelling against? They're rebelling against God. They're also rebelling against Moses. And in the immediate, it's Moses that they're after. You're the problem. You've led us poorly. You've led us to die. You are the problem. And so in his anger, he doesn't speak to the rock. Because God said, tell the rock to bring forth water. Instead, what does he do? He hits it. He takes that symbol of authority that God had given him and smacks down the rock. In other words, he says... You want water? I'll give you water, and hits the rock. And then God immediately judges him. And the judgment is severe. The judgment is the people are supposed to go into this promised land that's a good land, that's not the desert. It's a good place where the people can thrive, and Moses has excluded himself from leading them into that land. This seems harsh, though, doesn't it? I mean, the water came out. What? Why is God so upset about this? He disobeyed. You know, in Hebrew, which this was originally written in Hebrew, Hebrew has an interesting way of talking 
Have you ever heard um, an idiom like, for instance, we'd say something like, hey, get off your high horse. You say something like that, what does that mean? Does that mean somebody's actually up on a horse? It means they're, they're conceited, they're prideful. Yeah, you step down, let's be on the same level, and now we can talk about it. So we use, we use English phrases like that all the time, right? If you were talking to a non-English speaker and you're like, ha oh, man, you're a nut, right? What, what kind of nut do you mean? Like a pecan? Oh, you mean like a nut and a bolt, right? That kind of nut, no? Oh, crazy person? That doesn't make sense. So Hebrew has the same kind of things where it has slangs and idioms like that. And the fact that it says here that, that Moses raised his hand up high, it's like saying, get off your high horse. Raising your hand up high is someone who does a high-handed sin, is someone who does something in full knowledge of what they are doing. It means somebody who is fully aware of exactly what they are doing, they're doing it high-handedly, right? We even have some phrases like that. We say like heavy-handed, things like that. So to a Hebrew person, if you say, he rose his hand up high and struck the rock. They are hearing Moses deliberately, knowing that he was disobeying God, struck the rock instead of talking about it. He was supposed to speak to the rock. Instead, he hit it. And in hitting it, he smacks that rock with the symbol of God's authority, with the symbol of God's calling. Never does he say, the Lord provides water for you today. He says, you rebels, I'll give you water and uses God to accomplish what he wants. Is he really concerned about God's honor here, or is he concerned about his position? Because they're rebelling against him. And so now, here's the crazy part. The Lord still does the miracle. Because Moses can't do that. Can any person bring water from a rock? No. So God allows water. And this is... this allows water for over a million people and all their livestock. Think about how many bajillions of gallons are flowing from this rock. And seeing this miracle, surely God is with Moses. Surely. And yet the Lord says to Moses, I'll still with you, but you won't lead the people in. This is severe. Moses knew exactly what he was doing. The reason I'm telling you that is because we tend to think of Christianity, once we know God, like magic. So a lot of times we think of praying like you're praying to a genie, right? So if I pray the right way, I get my three wishes, and then God will hear me. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about those kind of things before, but really deep down, a lot of Christians, a lot of us, a lot of people, think of God and his power in terms of magic. What is magic? Now, magic is forbidden in the Bible, right? You're not supposed to mess with that stuff. Because there are spiritual things that can happen in the world. There are demonic forces. There's stuff that you can do. People sometimes know things or do things. Weird, right? Sometimes stuff happens that's not from the Lord. Having said that, what we think about magic is this. It's a power that you get to control. When I was a little boy, I sat for hours trying to get my toy lightsaber to come from there to here. <laughs> Go! Because if Luke can do it in the Star Wars movies, surely I can do it. I spent so much time praying for lightsabers. Listen, no one has prayed more for a lightsaber than I did at six years old. I, that was, man, if I could get a lightsaber, because, man, because that's, you get a lightsaber, that's a symbol of authority. That's a symbol of power, and you can cut through anything. How cool is that? Man, lightsabers are the coolest thing ever. So I prayed a lot for a lightsaber. 
But really, what the force is and what movies tell us is what a lot of people think about God's power, that it's something that you get to control and manipulate. So it's really for my convenience. Because if that thing is over there and I can't reach it, I can just, and it comes to me. And that's cool. And if I'm really powerful, I can do way more than that. And it would be so great. You know, we talk to a lot of people about uh, superpowers. And I love superhero movies. They're really fun, aren't they? Most of the time. You know, have you ever heard that question, like, what kind of superpower would you like to have? You know, and anybody who answers invisibility, you're like, what, are you okay? What's wrong with you? Why do you want to be invisible? That's weird. Most people want to fly, right, or be invincible or something. And why do people want superpowers? So I can help people. But also, I want superpowers so that when I fly through the sky, people are like, that's Superman. He even has a name that's Superman. Like, that's the coolest guy ever. That's what people really want. Man, if I could fly, I'd make the best Instagram posts ever. Everybody will like that. I'll be the most famous YouTuber ever if I could fly. I'll get the camera shots that nobody can get. This is what people think. But the idea is, if I had a power that I can control that no one else has, that will make me special. Not only will it make me special, but I'll be able to do things and be validated in myself. Not just validated in myself, but really my life would be so much easier. And if I had super speed, I could cut the lawn so fast. My grass would never get too high. It would always look great. I'd have the best lawn on the block. And I could still do all the other things because I'm super speedy. This is what people think about. This is what Moses did. Because he grew up around all the Egyptians that tried to use their gods like that. Because that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is finding something that you think is going to make your life better. It's finding something that you can worship because it's going to ultimately help you. You know, the kings of Israel, they were so messed up. They got to the point where they thought sacrificing, literally burning alive their children, would make their idols respond to them to help them in battles or make crops grow. How crazy is that? It's crazy, right? And yet, the proclivity of people is to try to want to control power, do something to make it happen, to negotiate with God that my life's going to be better because you're going to do what I want you to do. And the Lord does not operate that way. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2. Fast forward, the people of Israel have come now. They're a great nation. They have come into the promised land. And um, you may remember the story of David and Goliath. God raises up these great kings because God's plan all along has been a kingdom. He wanted the people to understand that they were not just a family, not just a nation, but a kingdom, and he was their king. And so he rose up these other kings, King David namely, who would be a man after his own choosing, who would also be a man who would follow him and look to him and all these kind of things. And so he was excited for David to rule, and he made a covenant with David saying, you're going to have a ruler on the throne, and then David sins. And God is still faithful to his covenant, even despite this sin. All the greatness that Israel thought was going to happen because God was with them doesn't really pan out, and it doesn't pan out because people are corrupted. They can never quite walk with God all the way, like Moses, called by God, walked with him, doing his miracles, and at the end of the day, his own selfishness betrays him. That happens again and again and again until the point now where the kingdom has split into two. There's a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. 
And these two places are at war often with each other. Sometimes they make little alliances. They're also hard pressed on all sides by bigger nations like Syria. And Syria has a big army, and so they're terrified of Syria. So sometimes they band together to fight against these other nations and things. But ultimately what's happening is the Lord is judging the people. Since they have not followed him, he's allowed other nations to come in and conquer them. And so they're divided. And God has arisen two prophets. And a prophet is a person, prophet literally means mouthpiece. So a person is going to speak for God. Now, a prophet is a person who should get their word from God and then say that. That's their job. That's it. Um, often, pretty much all the time, the prophet's job is to return the people back to the covenant, that they would know God, walk with him, understand him, follow him. That's what they're supposed to do. So a prophet who would just stand up and tell you, you know, your great-great-grandmother's middle name, and she says, hi, this is, that's not a prophet. Also a person who just tells the future, I know the future, for lunch we will have McDonald's. Like, that's not, that's not a prophet. A prophet's not a, excuse me, a person who does parlor tricks. They don't just get special words of knowledge where they can, you know, take out your driver's license. I'll tell you your driver's license number. Your social security number is this. And, and we relegate this role of prophet now to these kind of things. But really, at this time, the prophet is an important office the office of prophet is walking with the king and with the priest that they would help keep the people on track in the word of God. Because sometimes the priesthood and caring for the people gets a little wishy-washy. And sometimes the king, because they're political, didn't hold the line. And so people, being selfish and wanting to control God, they started following after idols. And sometimes the priests weren't even the ones to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. Should be the king. King doesn't do it either. Well, here comes the prophet. And the prophet says, you are following false gods. This is what's happening over and over and over. There's two prophets that are notable. There's many, but these guys are Elijah and Elisha. We talked a couple weeks ago about Elijah. Um, he does incredible miracles. God uses him incredibly to root out idolatry in Israel. And the Lord meets him with pillars of fire coming down. I mean, it's amazing. It's huge stories. And then... Um, it doesn't really work out like Elijah thinks. And so in the story, he escapes. And he goes to a place and hides in a cave. And he asks God to kill him. If you remember, this was a couple weeks ago. You can look back at this sermon. It'll be online for you. Uh, but he's depressed. And he says, Lord, I tried. Didn't work out. Just kill me. It'd be better if I wasn't born. And God comes to him a couple times. Do you remember what the Lord asked him in the cave? He says, Elijah, why are you here? Because he's been called to say something, to do something, to return the people to the covenant. And instead, he's hiding out in a cave. So he shows him his power. The Lord shows him his power. And still he says, Lord, Ike, you should just kill me. And so God says to Elijah, you're going to go appoint a new prophet, Elisha, in your place. And he'll speak for me now. So when we pick up 2 Kings here, Elijah is uh, at the end of his life. And he's about to go, actually, he doesn't die. He just gets sucked up into heaven, which we'll read in a minute, which is wild. And this guy, Elisha, is going to take over from him. So let's read again. Let's read, sorry, 2 Kings. We're going to start reading at 
Verse 6. So Elisha is walking with Elijah. Elijah says to Elisha, verse 6, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets. There are other prophets, but there's only one office of prophet. Also went and stood at some distance from them. And they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, which he had rolled up, and struck the water. And the water parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go across on dry ground. What does that sound like? Parting of the Red Sea. You know, this is occurring in the same place where God will again part the Jordan so that Joshua can lead the people into the promised land when they go in. God likes parting waters. Verse 9, And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken up. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Isn't that a great request? And he said in verse 10, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And they still went on and talked. And behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Praise the Lord. Verse 15. And when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. Amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story. Later on, other things are going to happen. Why do you think Elijah says to Elisha, you've asked a hard thing about this double portion? I don't think that he's talking about it's hard for the Lord to do this. I think Elijah knows what's ahead. And in his own desperation, he doesn't want Elisha to have to walk the way he's walked. And Elisha says, give me double. He says, you've asked a hard thing, not for me to do. You've asked a hard thing for yourself. Here's what's interesting, too. He says, if you see me when I go, you'll get it. You know, this is actually the third time, we didn't read the other ones, that Elijah has told Elisha, you stay here. I'm gonna go. God's called me somewhere. i got to go to Bethel. I'm going to go to this city, Bethel. You chill here. It's going to be okay. But Elijah knows. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, as surely as you live, I will not leave you. And the spirit that Elijah has, I mean the countenance that he has, of being in the cave and God saying, why are you here? It's not on Elisha. Elisha's going to go wherever he goes. He's not going to stay in a cave. So he follows him. He follows them three different places. They're marching all over the place. They see this river parted. How incredible is that? They walk across on dry land, and then whirlwind of fire and chariots, and I don't even, what is all that stuff? I don't know. The Lord's Spirit takes away Elijah. 
I will say this about the Lord. Sometimes he shows up in our lives. How do you describe him? He shows up and you, hi, 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 lightning. It was like lightning. How do you describe seeing God? So Elijah here and the sons of the prophets, there's 50 guys witnessing this. See this whirlwind of fire. What, what does that look like? It's awesome. I don't know. And chariot and horsemen somehow in there. And then sucks up Elijah and he drops his clothes on the ground, his cloak, his jacket falls on the ground. That's amazing. But don't get too wrapped up in does the horseman mean things and what. It's just God's spirit takes him away. That's what we get. And if you see it, you're like, I looked like fire whirlwind with horses. I don't. That was it. The Lord took him, you know, to the point where we didn't read this, but the 50 guys are like, let us go search. Maybe God dropped him somewhere. So they leave for three days. They look for Elijah on mountains and streams. They're like, maybe the spirit threw him over there because that stuff has happened. Anyway, praise God. So Elijah gets a double spirit. And the first thing he does is walk to the bank of the Jordan, taking the cloak. You know, this is the same cloak that when Elijah called Elisha into service, he didn't even say anything to him. He walked up to him and he put his jacket, his cloak, onto Elisha and then walked away. And Elisha was like, I'll follow you, and just went. Let go of his livelihood, everything, and followed Elijah because he heard the call of the Lord. He takes the same cloak up. It's interesting the clothing that's here because he's clothed in the same way that Elijah is clothed. It's, a, it's symbolic of what God's doing with them. And he takes this cloak and he smacks the Jordan. And what happens to it? It parts. But here's the thing. Doesn't it just seem like convenient? He didn't have to wait for a boat. Like Elijah and Elisha both, like they didn't walk on water, but I mean, that would even have been faster maybe. They just walked on water. They, They do this miracle. Who are they doing the miracle for? Like there's these 50 guys watching over there. But yeah, it's not like the whole of Israel's together. And how is this different than Moses? It seems pretty convenient. Water or part. Don't they get to use the magic too? But here's the difference. The difference is Israel is again rebelling. Again, just like with Moses. But they're rebelling against God again. To the point where they have followed idols. They have sacrificed their children They have done crazy things. And in all these things, God has judged them now by having the kingdom split and they're about to be taken away into into slavery again. All this stuff, bad things are about to happen. But while this is occurring, God does a miracle that he does just like Moses did and just like Joshua did, not for the convenience of Elijah, but because he is showing to everyone who's there and for us that we would understand, this is my delegate. He is my ambassador. He struck the water just like my servants did before, so you will know I am with him. And when Elisha takes up the cloak now that's fallen and he comes back to the river, he doesn't just strike it and say, make this easier for me. He doesn't do a Harry Potter spiriamis or whatever they do. He doesn't do those things. He smacks the river. What does he say? Where is the God, the Lord of Elijah? Why? Because God has a representative and a a delegate. He has an ambassador. 
who is speaking on his behalf to be his mouthpiece to say, this is the way that you shall go. And if you go this way, there's life. And if you go that way, it is death and destruction. And now Elijah hits the water and everyone seeing it knows that's the man of God. It's not doing it for convenience. He's not doing it because it's cool. He's not doing it because it's fun. He's doing it because the Lord is showing everyone this is the one you need to listen to because he is going to bring you back to righteousness. Because the king has taken people into idolatry and the priests have acquiesced to what the people want. And so now there's one person standing alone who's going to represent God. It's very different than just, oh, this is so cool. But we read those stories and we're like, man, if I had force powers like that, where's his lightsaber? It's amazing. If I could just hit, everyone will know that I'm special. And Elijah, he's going to have a rough time. He doesn't get to go and live in a palace and everything's wonderful. He's got to represent the Lord. He deals with death and he deals with destruction and he weeps at one point because the Lord reveals to him the judgment that's coming on the people because of what they're doing. He's one who's going to represent God in what he does. And I'm telling us today that we are a people who represent God because he has made us his ambassadors and he has called us by his spirit. Did you know that Jesus said we would do greater things even than this? But it's not for our convenience. It's not because we get to have cool force powers. It's because God is demonstrating that his kingdom has come. Jesus is on the throne and we are his ambassadors. And when we think of God's power that way, it changes the way we approach God, doesn't it? Because there's been many times, I'm telling you in college, there were so many times I opened my ashtray in my 1993 Nissan Pathfinder, like, Lord, please let there be 50 cents in here. Please let there be 50 cents so I can get lunch. Because a hamburger at my army unit thing costs 50 cents. And if I've got two quarters, I am good. Because I got six more hours of training. If I can't buy a cheeseburger, I'm going to be struggling. And I'd open it up and like, 75 cents. Holy, God is good, guys. God is good. You in the back, the Lord is good. 75 cents. <laughs> For my convenience. Now, God is so kind. He gave me 75 cents. I'm telling you right now, there was nothing in there. I'm telling you. But he gave me 75 cents. And God is so kind that he does miraculous things. But he also uses us in long-suffering times. He also uses us in times when he says no. He also uses us in times when we're at the wit's end of our lives and we don't know what to say and we're standing with the neighbor and we don't know what to do and suddenly the power of God comes out of you. And you know what to say out of nowhere or you pray, ready for this, you pray and somebody gets healed. Did you heal them? Yes, because you prayed. You did, you were involved. But God really did it. And if you say, I'm a healer, Give me, give me on TBN. I'm a healer. We've missed it. But instead, if we say, you need to know Jesus Christ, the king of glory, my snot rag can heal you. Not because of me or my boogers, but because he's on the throne. This happened. This is the book of Acts. That happened. Why did it happen? Because God's confirming his people. Are you so small that the Lord won't hear your prayers? Are you so small that God won't use you? Are you so small that you're excluded from parting the sea if God wants you to? He can do all those things. But he does it. And he doesn't do it for our convenience. He does it for his authority, his glory, his power, 
his kingdom. So what do we say? What do we say to Ukraine, who right now are wishing they could be together in a building? Oh, guys, I don't know. Let's read about Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it's a little long today. Matthew chapter 4. Nah, appreciate that. Here's Jesus. He's just been baptized by John. Remember, we just had a series on John a little bit ago. John the Baptist is an incredible guy. Jesus said, the spirit of Elijah is in John. That if you can receive it, because it's always been prophesied, Elijah's coming back. He went up in the whirlwind because he's coming back. And Jesus said, it's not reincarnation. John's a different guy. But it's the same anointing. It's the same calling. It's the same authority. It's the same... It's really, it's the same message. Repent, come back to the kingdom. The king is coming. That's John. That was Elijah. That's Elisha. Elisha with a double spirit, in fact. Man, Elisha, he is, he's fiery. He does not hold, he does not hold back what he's going to say. It's amazing. But so now here comes John the Baptist, who also does not hold back. Calls out corruption, calls out hypocrisy, calls out sin, and he tells people, the Lord is coming. You need to be ready. So Jesus comes to him in Galilee, ready at the same place that Elijah and Elisha parted the water. At the same place that Joshua led the people into the promised land. That's where he's gone. It's in the middle of nowhere. Jesus comes to him there and he says, you need to baptize me. And immediately John the Baptist knows, but you're the, Christ. You're the king I've been telling everyone about. And he says, you need to baptize me so that we can, this is my obedience. He says, you should, you should baptize me. Come on, put me in the water. So he puts him in the water. As soon as he comes up, a dove comes down from heaven. Was it an actual bird? It sure looked like it, but it was the Lord's spirit. And it came down from heaven, and everyone knew. There was no question. God's spirit was coming down, and the word of God came to everyone present. This is my son. Listen to him. That's amazing. Wouldn't you love to be there? And yet, a couple of verses later, they're like, so should we listen to him? Or It's hilarious. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then, this is right after that. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? God just said, this is my son, listen to him. And the first thing the Holy Spirit says to him, now understand, Jesus is God. He is God forever. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the son. The Trinity is a mystery to us all. God is one, and he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the son here has taken on human flesh. And the Holy Spirit's with him. Father has testified, this is, he's God. And the first thing the God-man does is go to the desert to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. That's wild. After verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be too. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Who does this remind you of? If you're God's delegated appointee, if you're his ambassador, strike that rock. Make water come out of it. God told you to take the staff. Did he really say speak to it? 
let everybody know who you are. In fact, for your convenience. Nobody around here but you and me. Why not? You can do whatever you want. Just do it. Because the devil knows in the heart of every person, selfishness. See, that's the root of sin. Selfishness. I want what I want. And God, he better do what I want. But Jesus answers him and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, our perfect Savior, he lived perfectly. And God did not tell him to turn the bread to stone. Excuse me, to turn the stone to bread. If God had said, do it, he would have done it. But he answers the evil one, the Lord said, you'll only live by what he said to do. And so he doesn't fall for the trap because there's ready no selfishness in him at all. He's God eternal who's become a man for us. He's demonstrating by his own humility. He who sits on the throne who created the world is now living dependent on God in the wilderness, having not eaten for 40 days and so hungry and so tempting just to just use this magic for what I want. But you see, the power of God is not magic. It's his power. It's his authority. It's his life. It's him. You can't separate God from his power. He is him. He doesn't just do things. You see, God doesn't use magic. God is God, and he's the creator. And when he shows up, he does whatever he wants. And so Jesus is tempted just to just make it bread. But instead he says, I'm not going to fall for that because I'll only do what the Father says. And do you know what the Father's told him to do? Suffer and die for us. That's, that's the commandment. He says, for this reason I've come, to go to the cross and die a traitor's death for us, that we might be redeemed out of our selfishness, out of our sin, out of our rebellion, and instead come to him who is our Savior. The king of the whole world will die for us to take our rebellion upon himself. But he won't stay dead. He'll come alive again. And I'm telling you, God's power, he's alive. And he uses us to do great things for him. And he's called us to do great things for himself because it's his glory that gets demonstrated through us. What can we tell the church in Ukraine? What can you tell your neighbor who thinks maybe the world's going to end tomorrow? What can you tell your coworker who's literally trying to dig a bunker right now for the nuclear war? What can you tell your uh, nephew or your niece who so doesn't even care? They just don't even care. Nobody cares about anything. Nothing matters. What do you say to these people? Say, wake up. You say, wake up. And here's how you do it. You say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the King of Kings because the Lord has put a spirit of prophecy on you. You might not be a prophet in the office, but I'm telling you right now, if the spirit of Christ is in you and it's in you if you believe in him, then he is speaking for Christ. And that mouthpiece of God will come out of you to proclaim his glory and his excellencies and the world has got to hear it. And the Ukraine has got to hear it because the encouragement for them is not someday it will be better. The encouragement for them is not, hey, God's going to do a miracle. It's going to be fine. I don't know. I don't know. The encouragement is he's on the throne. He's the Lord. 
we're praying for you. He hears your prayers. His, his majesty is going forth. I don't know how he's going to use this junk, but he's going to use this junk, and he's going to bring people into his kingdom, and his righteousness, his peace, and his joy, it will reign everywhere because there's a king on the throne. That's the message. And that's the message for our neighbor and our coworker and our niece and our nephew and everybody. Because if they don't know Jesus, they think that they, there's this magic they can touch into <clears throat> that somehow God's going to just make everything okay. It's not going to happen. And instead, they need to know him because he's the, the Lord of life, isn't he? So what do we do? What do we do? If you don't know Jesus, we talked about a bunch of Bible things. If you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, Search your own heart. You're going to find selfishness. I did. We all, did. we all do. And let me ask you, is that good enough for the God of creation that when you stand before him, you can say, I'm okay. It's not okay. The Bible tells us that we have all gone astray like sheep. We've just gone our own way. None of us measure up to the glory of God. None of us. And if we dig down deep, you're going to see it in the selfishness right away. But the, the glory of God is he died for us. He rose again. And the Bible tells us if we confess our sins to him, he will remove all that unrighteousness from us. He will make us his. The Bible says if you believe in him, that he died and rose again, that he's the Lord, and you cast yourself on him, he will save you. And you will find your life changes immediately. Your, your desires change because you become something new. If you've known him for 60 years, don't let the evil one deceive you into saying, those don't, just make them bread. It's fine, you're hungry. God cares about that. Just use his power. And you can see that in our prayers because our prayers become everything about the 50 cents in that ashtray. It becomes everything about my lunch. It becomes everything about the cheeseburger instead of what God's really doing. Here's a heart check for you. When was the last time we really prayed for that neighbor? When was the last time we shook their hand? When was the last time we said, Lord, use me to be an ambassador for you? God's power will meet you when you're on the mission. Don't expect him to do magic things for you, though, if you're just doing whatever you want. And I'm saying that to you because God's power is moving today. God is on the move today. He is drawing people to himself. He is shaking nations right now. He is making people unstable in their own hearts because there are a lot of people who grew up thinking, it's going to be great, it's fine, nothing's wrong. And now all of a sudden, everything's wrong and gas is expensive. What do we do? And they're looking, I need that 50 cents to pay for this gas. There's a better answer. It's the Lord Jesus. And so what do we do? We proclaim him. How do you do that? Here's how you do that. Simple way. Right now, today, pray for somebody. Lord, save my friend. Lord, heal this person. Just pray for another person. If you're already doing that, then walk to the end of the driveway when your neighbor's taking their trash down, shake their hand and say, can I pray for you? I've been thinking about you. I want to pray for you. And they'll be like, you're nuts. Why are you going to pray for me? But I'm telling you, it's a hard thing that you ask to have a double portion. So if you really want to follow God and you want to see him and you want to be close to him, this is what we do. But I'm telling you right now, there is no greater joy 
than walking in what God calls us to do. And all of a sudden, it's like, isn't it so funny? Have you ever done something that you're really good at and you never thought anything of it? And then somebody's like, wow, you drew that? That's amazing. And you're like, oh, thank you. I, I just draw. I don't, never really thought of it. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, that's, I enjoy doing this. It's so funny how you are way better, way better at evangelism, at speaking the word of God, praying for people, being in the, in the mix of what God has for you than you realize. And when you do it, it's like all of a sudden, delight overcomes you because you're doing what God's called you to do. It's awesome. That's for you. God's power is for you. He is using you. He has put you strategically here and not in Ukraine. Praise God for that. He has put us strategically here and not in Canada. Why? I don't know, but he's going to use us. So let's be a people who come to him, trust him, and let go of the magic thoughts. And instead, just take his hand. Wherever the Father takes us, we'll go anywhere he goes. And I'm telling you, he will meet you at every turn, and it will be exciting. Amen to that? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so good. Lord, there's no one like you. Lord, you have power to part seas. You have power to heal. Lord, you have power to change us in every way. And Father, at the same time, we also recognize that you sent your very son to the cross. Lord, whatever you have for us, Lord, whatever it is, we trust you. We know that you will hold us into yourself. Lord, there's nothing that can separate us from you. And so, Father, we look to you, and Lord, there are struggles that we have. There are sick friends that we have. There's neighbors who don't know you. There's sickness in our own bodies, Lord. There's financial things. There's relationships that are broken. Lord, we need you. We need your healing. But, Lord, we know that it's not just magic. It's you. And so, Father, in faith, we step out and say, use us, God. Use us for your glory. Lord, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added. And we trust you, God, that you have that you are good and you know what you're doing, even using broken vessels like us, that you've made whole. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your life and thank you for your spirit. Lord, help us to see your power at work. Lord, we want to do miracles. We want to see miracles. We want to see people come into your kingdom. Lord, we want to be right in the middle of all that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that your delight would be on each person. And I thank you that it already is because you've made us yours. Thank you, God, that you've called us to yourself. We praise you. May the, the glory of the Father shine around you. May the rule of the Son encourage your heart. And may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you as you do all that he has called you to do. In Jesus' name, amen.